You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone, Harsha here, aka DJ Harsh, and thank you guys for tuning in for today's episode of Changing Reality right here on WQHS Radio. So we've got a very, very special episode in store for all of you here today. Once again, it's a privilege to have you guys here and our lovely audience to welcome you to uh, listen in to today's guest speaker. So Changing Reality is a show for all of you who don't know that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are changing their own reality. We'll be hanging out and interviewing social change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, to even artists, musicians, and top executives, inspiring individuals from all across the world, and many who've actually been here on the Penn campus. So we're going to hear their inspiring stories on how they change their reality uh, through the lives that they live, through their careers, their businesses, the work that they do, and how many of us often benefit from the things that they do without us even knowing. And I wanted to do this show simply because I felt like there are so many people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them. And their stories often aren't really heard. And I'm also super passionate about learning how everyday people, by just playing our part um, in what we do and doing what we do best, can actually change the world in our own capacity. So personally, I founded and I ran a youth movement called Ascendance in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, that collaborates with our Malaysian Ministry of Education to help provide an alternative education platform for any student who wants to change their reality. We work with students from elementary to high school through various sessions, programs, experiential and project-based learning activities that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them, and get experiences working on projects with top executives so that they have that kind of, uh, they have that kind of experience to start their own careers while they're still in school. And careers that create meaningful impact not just for themselves, but for those around them too. And to date, we've worked with about 6,000 students in 270 communities and have incubated, thousands, incubated countless number of student-run projects and social enterprises run by students aged 8 to 20 years old, helping everyday students change their reality. If you have any questions about it, you can drop it in the chat below. But I think you'll be a little bit too mind blown by our speaker today to even think about that. Because especially in this day and age, I think we've all had those moments where we've fallen in love with a TV show or a movie or something um, or some form of entertainment. And often, I think I'd say this love is quite blind because once we've fallen in love with the TV show, we are uh, not really paying attention to its flaws, its viewership count, the other things that happen around it. But um, all of those things actually make a difference. And they are actually the things that um, ensure that our favorite shows go on for 15 seasons instead of being canceled for one. And I think that um, we have no one more qualified to share both about the fun, amazing world of um, entertainment, as well as the real part of it, the behind the scenes part of it than our speaker today. So this week, we'll be interviewing Roxanne Bernadelli, who is currently the executive director at Disney ABC Television Group. Roxanne is highly experienced in utilizing data to provide strategic recommendations to senior business leaders. And in addition to her highly effective presentation speaking skills, she's also someone who is passionate about understanding what consumers and their connections uh, with content and brands are. So she's definitely the right person for the job, who's a very strong leader. Um, she mentors many people and she creates, I would say she's been highly successful in the things that she's done. So without further ado, I know you guys are waiting to hear from her. Let's invite Roxanne onto the digital stage. 
Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi, how are you feeling today? Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay. I think that um, I personally, uh, when I first invited you for the show and you replied, I was very touched and I was very happy that uh, I could actually uh, get a chance to talk to you. And when I was actually sending this out, I'm going to just like expose our audience for a moment. Everyone was, I would say, extremely excited. Like, I think you check all the boxes. Everyone either loves entertainment or they love data and all of this information. So it's kind of like you're an all-rounder in a sense. So... Um, just to get the conversation started, you're actually an alumni from here at Penn, right? So, yes. Yeah. Oh, cool. So in the grand <laughs> scheme of things, uh, did you know that you're going to end up in the entertainment industry? Was like this the long con plan or was it, it something that it, just fell into? It was definitely the latter. I, I fell into it. it. It's so funny. When I went to Penn, I felt like I had an idea of, of who I was and what I wanted to be. I was always really great at math and science, so I thought I would be an engineer. I majored in engineering for a while and then realized that it was just not for me. I met people who were really super passionate about, about math and sciences in a way that, that it just didn't fit who I was. And um, so my pen journey was, was, it wasn't a straight line at all. It was definitely a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of curves, just, you know, moving from one direction to the next and really trying to figure out who I was, trying to find myself. I thought, you know, maybe I wanted to get into photography. I was very close to, um, <laughs> to, to a, a fine arts minor, but I, when I graduated, um, you know, I knew I wanted to work in entertainment. I just didn't know quite where. And I was sure I didn't really want to be in the creative, you know, in front of the camera, um, you know, on stage type of entertainment. I knew I wanted to be behind the scenes somehow. I just didn't really know what types of jobs were out there. So when I was looking for work, it was, and, and unfortunately this dates me a little bit, uh, monster.com was the big job search engine of the time. And I did, I searched, you know, entertainment jobs. And that's what led me to my, my, first, um, my, my first job, which was in media research for a syndicator in, in New York, uh, Tribune Entertainment. And that was where I first learned that this was a job for people who, you know, liked television and liked understanding the viewership of what was happening, you know, on screen. Okay. I think that that is something that I, I like how you said, like you found out that this was a job because I feel like all of us just magically think things appear on our TV. Like someone does some sorcery and then pictures start moving and actors start acting, but actually it's a lot of things behind the scenes. And like, we don't often see like research jobs are a huge part of it. And um, did you, like you mentioned, you always wanted to be in the entertainment industry. Were you always a fan of uh, television? Was it always something that you loved or was it the glitz and glamour that got you in a sense? It's definitely the the storing storytelling pieces of it. I mean, again, this unfortunately dates me, but as a very young kid, um, I loved looking at the TV guide of, of the physical, you know, TV guide magazine, and um, would read through so I could figure out what I wanted to watch. Uh, I went through with a highlighter and would fold down pages of shows I wanted to check out. 
Entertainment Weekly um, also used to do a fall TV preview that I would read and full and dog ear pages of shows I wanted to check out. And back then it was a lot, a lot easier. You know, it was just broadcasting cable. Um, you know, now there are so many shows out there. I mean, if I try to keep a list of programs that I wanted to watch, it would just take pages. Um, but back then, uh, it was the stories that really, that really got to me. I have, um, it's very easy for me to kind of escape reality. Like I, I have a great imagination, so I'm easily transported to whatever world. Um, so TV was just like such a good escape. It was also, you know, partially a babysitter, you know, having two parents who work full-time jobs and, you know, didn't necessarily, you know, have, have time to spend every waking minute with me. And, you know, kind of the third piece is uh, I emigrated to the United States when I was very young. So TV really taught me how to speak English and American slang. Uh, and um, it, it was it's always been such a huge part of, of growing up, you know, um, just thinking about the shows I watched. And, you know, I was a big fan of, um, you know, Cheers and Night Court, just, you know, all the way growing up and. Um, my grandmother, um, who's Filipino and didn't speak that much English, I will never forget. There were three shows, three American shows she could watch when she came to visit. Uh, it was Price is Right, it was I Will Lucy, and it was an 80s television show uh, called Mannix, which was um, I, I, kind of like a cop detective show, and there was a fight scene always at the end. Um, but it, they were all easy to follow. You didn't necessarily have to have a strong grasp of the language. And I still think there's something really beautiful in that, that, you know, there are some shows that you can watch regardless of, you know, your background. No, I, I completely agree. And like, as someone who grew up in Malaysia, which is right next door to the Philippines, and I think like one of the things that happened to me as a kid is I watched so much Disney that every December I'd be like, mom, it's gonna snow. And they were like, we live in a tropical country and it's like mm, it's not happening in a sense and I thought I was I grew up in England and I tried to convince all my friends I was English as a kid so definitely have been impacted by TV a lot and, um, one of the things that for me personally that I see in your story is that you are a very imaginative you're a very creative person and you are I think the best people person to work in the entertainment industry because you're just really passionate about it and I think that's what the world needs right but how was it like when you first started out going for this interview for a job in research did you know anything about the research side of it and like um, what what do you think made you the right candidate in a way oh that's a really good question I think um I I, I, I think what helped is that I did know how, know, know about television. I mean, right now when, when I'm on the other side and, and we interview, we always ask, what do you watch? And um, because I think it's some, sometimes it's easier to teach somebody the, at least the media, the media analytics part, if they know how TV works, if they know what a broadcast season looks like. And I think when I went on my interview, um, I believe that that part came out. I also had some industry terms that not everybody necessarily knew. You know, I knew about sweeps, sweep periods, um, which was uh, a key um, time span and um, something that I ended up working with a lot in my, my first job. We looked at 
uh, data for all the key sweeps. So we would look at, you know, our November, our November sweep data, our, our Feb sweep data, our May sweep data. And so I think going in, being able to talk television and being able to kind of articulate, well, this is what I know about how TV works. Uh, I feel did give me a leg up. I also think that I was fairly aggressive in at least showing that I really wanted the job. I mean, I did not have any experience, you know, working in television. I had not done an internship, but I, you know, I did. I wrote my thank you note, like I really want to be here. And I would call like every couple of weeks, you know, I'd call HR like, hey, any word, I really want to do this. And I would would move to New York for this job, you know, so I made it really clear that that I wanted to be there. And um, it was really great because, you know, when you are entry level, it it's more on faith, right? That that someone hires you. It's the potential that you'd be able to do something. So I, as much as I want to take a lot of credit for, you know, kind of busting my way through the door, I, I do give a lot of credit to, you know, the folks who did bring me in and, and give me a shot. Oh, I and I think you're being too honest. I feel like many times, like it's easy to think if I just watch enough TV, then eventually the people in the TV will notice me back in a sense. And it's like, uh, but like I think it really goes down to the grit of it and how much you want it, which I think you you show an exemplary how you've actually done. And getting this job, um, I, that's amazing. Congrats to you from then as well, and you to viewers now. But um, getting this job, like stepping into like an actual uh, media production company. Um, and have taking on this kind of like research consultant role. Was there anything in those first few years that you learned that you that co it was completely unexpected to you, um, having not been in television before, in a sense? Oh gosh, I mean, uh, everything felt really new. I think in especially in those first few years, it was kind of realizing how exact everything had to be. I mean, in that first job, I had to enter in. Um, the program lineups for our shows. So that means for every um, station across the country, I would have to enter into the Nielsen system, like the call letters, this is the show, this is the time it's airing. And I would have to do that for, you know, every, every market. And then whether or not it aired, we would get a report. And the ones that didn't air, you would have to call all those stations and 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 ask you know did you why didn't or you know i'm seeing in this report you didn't air our show and they would either say oh we did we just aired it in a different time period this is the the actual time and date that it aired or they'd say you know what we preempted it and then you'd have to write it down resubmit but that all of that has to be correct to get the measurement of the show so that, you know, in a week following, Nielsen would be able to say, this show delivered this many viewers. And to me, that was really interesting. I did not know that so much had to go, you know, behind the scenes and knowing more about how the the, the measurement happens. And, and quite honestly, how all the different kinds of measurement happens, right? And how all the different ways that companies are collecting data is, is continues to be extremely fascinating for me, you know, that um, credit card companies absolutely could run reports saying, you know, X percent of men 18 to 34 spend at least $30 on their cell phones every month. I mean, it's, it's just incredible the amount of data that is out there. And I think back then, it, it didn't occur to me that that's how um, television data was collected. 
<laughs> and I feel like um, now, like some people may look at the word data and have a panic attack just from the word itself. But I feel like that that in a way paints a picture and like this, like all of these things, these metrics and things like that actually have a story behind them. And um, in your role, in a sense, it's kind of like taking that story and actually turning it into something that is understandable for others in the industry, in a sense. And I and I read somewhere that you actually, um, in your role later when you became a manager, when you became a director as well, one of the things that you were really good at is taking this data that previously was used for other things like ad sales and finance, and kind of like focused on uh, transforming it into something, um, into the business intelligence side of it. How did you do that? How did you even think to do that in a sense? Well, it, you know, it, it's so funny because, you know, anytime you look at data or metrics, I think it's a a natural leap for that to be for other number related areas of the business. So, you know, any it's a measure of performance. Obviously, there's a financial impact, right? There's a sales impact. But, you know, for television, it's still important to count the number of viewers and to understand who it is, right? The who behind the numbers. And what's been, you know, part of the, the more fun part of the job is being able to tell that story. It's like, yes, I can tell you that X million people watch the show, but let me tell you that it's, it's these demographics. And maybe that makes sense with the, um, the makeup of your, your, your show's cast. Uh, you know, I think we had done a lot of analyses on, you know, our shows and competitive shows, and it it probably doesn't feel like um, like big news that a show with an all black cast would deliver a strong black audience. You know, that was uh, definitely something that would come clear in the data. And you know, however, it's not necessarily true for you know other race and ethnicities. You know, casting. Um, you know, uh, um, you know, some Latinos or some Asians in a cast doesn't necessarily generate that same amount of viewership, right? Um, and I think that's been part of the fun because then when people are making a show and there are certain expectations about like the kind of audience, like, oh, this show is targeted towards women 18 to 34. But sometimes when we look at that data, that's not who's watching your show. I mean, I think about some of the shows that I like to watch. And, you know, when I was when I was went to Penn, you know, one of my favorite shows is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And and the thing is, even now, most of the shows I gravitate to are shows that are probably about teens like Riverdale, you know, you know, Teen Wolf, uh, just kids in high school. And I'm definitely not in that age bracket. And we see that absolutely in the data. It's you have women who are not part of the demographic on screen. They're the ones watching this content, you know? And if you think just anecdotally, why would uh, like a woman who probably has, um, you know, bills to pay, struggles with the job, maybe, you know, with, with a partner, why would that woman necessarily want to watch a show with all those things when they could watch a show about, you know, kids in high school and that boy you might like in class? I mean, you know, so for me, that's the fun part of the data. And that's how I would tell that story, right? It's, it's, it's not just one sentence. Oh, you think you're targeting this and you're getting this. I would, it would be about building kind of that narrative so that when executives are thinking about a show or, um, or, or a particular audience, you have a little bit of context to give behind that. 
No, that's very important. That's very, very important because um, like on my side, like many times, like I work with a lot of students, um, the youth and things like that. So often like we've got reports about um, youngsters, what they want, like their expectations for the world. And often people just try to take it very much at surface value. So it's kind of like A plus B equals C. So all of you are like this in a sense. But I feel like many times they don't see why someone would answer that, why someone would come to that conclusion when they're filling out a survey or anything in a sense. So it's kind of like, yes, A plus B equals C, but there's a whole alphabet behind it that led to that conclusion that I think many people overlook. And you seem to be, as I said, the, the person who can kind of like decipher all of this information. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, this is a personal question, which the audience also asked. How do people know, like, like, how do you know, like, what shows work and what shows don't? Is it purely like on specific viewers or is there like a sprinkle of magic in it? Like, like what does the data tell us in a sense? Well, um, I'll, I'm going to go back a little bit and talk about, you know, the, my main metric is definitely, you know, looking at Nielsen ratings, which has been around, you know, for a long time. I mean, if you go to museums, uh, like I was at the Rock and Roll, Roll Hall of Fame, and there was a Western Union telegram um, in the Elvis Presley exhibit that was talking about how the Elvis Presley special did on television. And that was a Nielsen rating. Okay, so it, it's something that has been around for a very long time. And the, the thing that they're very good at is capturing demographic information. And that is attractive for ad sales because ad sales, they wanna sell to a particular demo, right? So if it's, um, if it's Nike and it's for basketball shoes, they're going to be targeting, you know, men 18 to 34, let's say. And so it would be more valuable to them to spend their ad dollars on a show that is delivering men 18 to 34 rather than just 100 general entertainment viewers. Right. So there is it. it that's where some of the demographics come into play and where um, Nielsen has an advantage over kind of internal data, which can just give you counts, you know? So um, they, a lot of set-top box data, you know, like um, from your, your uh, cable and satellite providers, you know, they know like X, like X household watched this thing, but they can't tell me is that one or two people, you know, what is, what is the demographic makeup of that person? So uh, in terms of like that type of demographic, there's not a whole lot, but in terms of Nielsen, there's just a lot more because they have to opt in. The people who participate have to fill out a survey so that they know, okay, this is a woman, she's between 35 to 49. She lives in um, the West Coast. She makes about this much a year. She is um, Asian and she is married and has one kid, you know, so that anytime I watch something, they'll be, they have all of that information and they can say, ah, this is this, this same woman who did all these things. And we're going to count her for these shows. Does so in a way it's kind of, no, I think that helps. I think that makes a lot of sense because now it kind of like makes sense. Like it's a good thing to give our data to like people who are like, like to the shows that we're watching because that that kind of means that they'd have like a better scope of like or a better chance of keeping the shows we love alive in a sense you know it's like they know that oh you're our demographic let's cater more to you and um i think like i just have to ask has knowing all of this killed the magic of movies do you now like do you now look at the tv and all you see are the numbers from the matrix kind of like floating in green in front of you or like do you still love movies and shows i still love movies and shows I think where it, it I, look, I have a very good um, 
um, imagination again, as I said. So I, I, I am happy to escape. I think where it is hard is I, I do know what ends up being successful, you know, uh, as we talk about the things that resonate with viewers. And so sometimes when I watch something, and even if I enjoy it, there is a part of my brain that's like, ooh, you really like this. This feels like it's very specific to you. Are other people going to like it? Because, you know, there are some, sometimes, I'm sure this is true with you, you watch something and you're like, I know a ton of people who will like it. And sometimes you'll watch something and you're like, wow, this is very special and probably just for me and maybe my best friend. And I think that's the part of my brain that is hard to turn off. Okay. I I, like I still admire that you you have that awareness, and I think next time I I shall try to convince my friends to watch the weird movies that I watch, just for like helping out the ratings. And um, I think that we could actually take a comment from the audience. So they said, "I love Disney, especially movies like Moana and all of those uh, movies where they show about like different cultures, music, um, storylines. It's so heartwarming to see, and um, they're really looking forward to a variety of cultures to be featured in like Disney and other television platforms, and like." How is it like on the other side, like like choosing which stories get told in a sense? Like, I, I yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, you know, look, it, it's so interesting because I think at the end of the day, it's about, you know, having something really interesting and special that'll break through. And after working in entertainment for so long, it, it can be really difficult. It almost feels like it has to be the right show at the right time, hitting the right cultural zeitgeist, and then the sky's the limit. There are some shows that are terrific, but you're like, it was, the world was not ready for you. Or, ooh, you would have been really great 10 years ago. Um, so I think it, it, it becomes really challenging because it is a lot of your your gut and and this is definitely more the creative realm and, and less you know my realm but i i do think that what always helps is you know trying to find something not like other things right there used to be a time more in um 80s 90s probably when you just didn't have as many choices right where you could have you know four or five shows that were just like a popular show and you would probably watch it because there wasn't a whole lot else on but now you're competing with not only a ton of great new shows that are coming this year a lot but as you're also competing with the best of any entertainment piece of all time that is at your fingertips, along with short form things that, you know, um, people are making on their own. It, it's a constant fight for eyeballs. So I think the things that are going to rise to the top are going to be the things that are just so different and, and break, break away from the pack. You know, I have strong admiration for Stranger Things on Netflix, which was just something so different, I think, than what was uh, airing anywhere else. Um, I'm pretty excited about some of the stuff that we're, uh, we have um, coming up for this fall on ABC. Um, we have a, a reboot of, uh, of The Wonder Years, which just looks amazing and is super special. And I, I highly recommend for, for folks to, to check it out. Um, that one feels like it should, it should break through. 
Okay. I'm very excited then and I'll wait for the other shows. I know like I think the Fall TV guide just came out for like a bunch of of like different channels so like I've just been stalking like which shows do I want to watch and like prepping my schedule ahead of time like I've got to block out this day like this day is just to watch this in a sense. And um on that same vein um a couple of people are asking um both the RSVP this and also in the comment it's like um first of all they say hi Roxanne because they're polite all of them did. Hello. And um <laughs> and then, uh, they wanted to ask basically like how do like places like Disney or even ABC kind of like pick what filmmakers or what music to go with in a sense um are there like like do they have like a list of criteria where everyone has to like check certain boxes or is there more emphasis given to um their previous work like reboots and stuff that's already been around oh gosh I, it's probably a a mixture of 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 all of that i think what um, I think obviously tried and true helps because uh, it's really important to be able to execute. And I think that's always the the big question mark whenever you try someone new is, are they going to be able to do what they say they're going to do, right? Whereas if you go with someone with experience, you have a really good idea of what they're capable of. Um, that said, Disney has a lot of programs for you know people looking to break in. Um, I, I don't know too much about, you know, the, the directing piece, but I know there's an excellent writer's program that, that, um, is geared towards, um, you know, um, unrepresented groups. Um, so definitely, you know, we've had a lot of success for people who get into the program, placing them as right in the writer's rooms of various shows. You know, I think there's also a production program. So there are a lot of programs to get, you know, new voices and new faces in the door. Um, I think it, it does help um, having, you know, things under your belt, even if it's in the indie space, because that that's how people are getting discovered. I think one of our our new um, shows that's coming in mid-season, um, the, the woman has a strong um, social social following. I think she was on YouTube for a very long time. I think about Issa Rae in Insecure. I mean, before that, she was making you know YouTube videos, um, The Misadventures of an Awkward Black Girl. It was terrific. And you know, I think because people have so much at their fingertips in terms of I can make my own thing and just show what I'm capable of, you know, even though I have limited resources. Um, I think having that, it is easier for for folks to look at that and then be able to take a chance. Okay, cool, cool. And oh God, the audience love you. I'm just saying like, <laughs> they're gonna like take down all their Walt Disney posters and put up posters of you. Like she's the real hero here. That's my one. But they have another question, which is pretty nice. Hi, Roxanne. And um, I'm curious, do you ever face a situation where a show you picked didn't turn out the way you expected it, despite the data that shows promising results? And how do you handle that? Oh, that is a, a terrific question. And, 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 and that's the thing with, with, with television and, and, and probably movies too, but definitely TV is you just never, you never know until you know. And um, I used to work with someone who like, it's a hit until it's not a hit, you know, is what he would say. And um, look, it, it's, it's never easy to deliver bad news, right? Um, but I think um, even if in, you know, some of the pilot testing, you know, something looks promising, you know, we always caveat that with all we tested was the pilot. So we can tell you that this show 
in and of itself is good. That doesn't mean that 22 of them are going to be good and watched, right? We can tell you that the, this is of the people who we showed this to, this is what they thought and what they felt, but that is not never a guarantee, right? And so there have also been, you know, a bunch of shows where we tested it and they came out okay and they were huge hits. <laughs> so, you know, look, the data is the data and even even the data is just a data point, right? So even your, your pilot testing is one piece of data. You know, what people, um, you know, when they talk to the showrunners and the writers and, you know, their feeling about, oh my gosh, this person really has a perspective and a story to tell. That's a data point, right? Oh, we've hired X, Y, and Z. Like these are the cast members. We feel that's really strong. We can market this. That's a data point. So I think in the totality, you know, people have to look at that and as a as kind of like a, col a collaborative decision, you know, moving forward or not. You know, it it's a very rarely one person being like, I decree that this is so. It's very much, you know, a lot of terrific creative um, and, you know, business minded people in a room debating the pros and cons of whatever ends up being in each network schedule. And um, it is a lot of it is is taking a chance based on the information you have. And because most people we've all been doing it for, for so long, you know, you don't it, it does. It's not like completely devastating you know you're sad and but it's not for me it's not my baby you know I didn't write it I didn't produce it so it, it'll hit me differently even if I really wanted it to work I think if you if you created if you wrote it if it's if it's literally you had an idea and you put it to page and then you got it shot and it's on screen I think that's where you might feel a little more emotionally um invested um, but I think for me, it, it, it doesn't hit me the same. Um, I, I definitely, there are shows that I root for and I enjoy, but I, 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 I kind of understand the, 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 the realities of, of, of how it works. We're still in ad supported business. We still, you know, it, it's, it's by popular vote. People have to, to watch for, for shows to, to succeed and to continue. Okay, and this is a very enlightened view. Like it, it puts together a lot of the things that we've been talking about. And have you always been like this? Like, like, like to see so much from the numbers, to see so much beyond um, things that, it, that 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 is just presented in front of you. Or has this been something you learned through experience? Oh, definitely learned through experience. I mean, I think as I, you know, just the more I spend time doing what I do, you kind of develop a point of view and perspective. I think, you know, earlier on, I, it, it felt a little bit like, here's a Disney reference, like like Bambi legs, when Bambi was <laughs> starting to walk and it's just shaking and you're, you're like, I think this is right. Like, this is what the numbers tell you, but you're not necessarily 100% sure, you know? And now I've hit a point where I'm like, this is, this is really what my opinion is. And it's it's an opinion, but it's just based on, on everything I see. And yes, I could be wrong, but with all the information I have, this is what I think the data is telling me, or this is what I think it's, it's leading to. And, um, you know, a, a debate that we're all currently having, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this is, you know, now that, um, you know, that vaccines are rolling out, and people are not going to be trapped at home and having to watch things. What is 
entertainment and, and TV viewing going to be like for the rest of the year? Right? Is it? And and will it rebound? You know, like okay, let's say we everyone has their hot back summer, and you know we enjoy ourselves. We we take up all the sports we say we wanted to do. We travel and we run around with our friends. You know, when it comes time to you know back to September, you know, are people back? Are people back in front of their television sets or in front of their their computers or connected TVs? Are they are they watching stuff or did they join you know their their local dodgeball league? <laughs> Are they having, are they like, you know what, I'm just going to take more walks. Um, Let me be outside more, you know, so that's the piece I'm very, very curious about uh, what will happen because this has not happened, um, you know, any time in recent history. So there is no past viewership data for me to base like, oh, this is what's going to happen. There's not, there's no frame of reference. Right. So it's, um, that is is something that I think about a lot, and it is probably going to help inform how we talk about the shows that are coming this fall and you know this spring. Okay, and I think that that's a that is a very interesting question, and it, I promise I will spend a few sleepless nights on it. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep myself awake and, and I guess. Like, you, I think in a previous chat you mentioned when you first started out, it was like this whole media industry. It was kind of predictable in a sense, and it like you knew during certain months everyone was going to go out in the summer and roam freely away from their television sets. So viewing would dip during certain periods; it would increase during others. But literally now it's become something so volatile. I would say it's like every week there seems to be a new streaming service um shows are, are like being swapped around everywhere um horrible people are using their vpns or pirating it online no no i'm just saying so like you don't even know who's watching like in a sense everyone has become a masked person on the internet so it's like it's, it's so different and it, there's just so much uncertainty and that a lot of that has happened over the course of your career so it's kind of like as you've become more successful you like things have become more challenging go to you. So how did you kind of like uh, grow in that unpredictability and how do you manage that in a sense from a very traditional industry previously? Yeah, I it, that's a good question. I mean, so when I first started, we that was when we weren't even tracking DVR viewing. It was just this is the number of the people who are watching this show the night it aired. Um, and you know, so to go from that to, hey, now we know what people watched, you know, um, both live and as well as delayed. And we know the people who are streaming our content, are streaming, you know, our library content. Uh, we have a lot of demographic information. We have a lot of, you know, deep audience profile information. There's so much data and that is definitely a challenge it's it's a lot and it's impossible to look at them to look at all of it i think you know how i you know try to structure you know what i look at and what my team does is really trying to ask like what are the questions we're going to answer and what's going to be the most relevant because i don't i i can't look at everything and know everything right so you know part of that is you know, creating like, well, 
We know that so many people aren't watching Night of Air anymore, right? We know that most of the viewing is happening within three days or within seven, the first seven days. So those are going to be our touch points more so than that first night. And we know that streaming is such a huge piece. We can't make any decision until we look at those streaming numbers to see, okay, it may be it's not um, a show that is doing well uh, on traditional television, but guess what? It's doing incredibly well in streaming and let's look at that data and let's talk about it. So I, I think really trying to be intentional about the things we look at, trying to ask ourselves questions as well, like really, digging in on the why. Why do we think this has happened? Why do we think this number is high? Why do we think this show didn't work? Why do we think this show did work? What is the difference between these two shows in that they seem very much alike, but this one did you know, significantly better than that one? What are all the factors at play? And, and we try to share that with, with our, um, in our, our, our coworkers, our executive teams, because they definitely don't have the time to sit there and parse through. They just want to know good, bad, what are the top line facts? And so we try to look at as much as we can to try to give them that perspective. Yeah, and again, you've got that task of like, it's kind of like you've got too many arsenal weapons in your arsenal now, and then you're just like, which one do I use? And there's so much information going around. How do you know what information is relevant? I've read somewhere again that you are actually someone who is a pro at storytelling and taking all of this data and painting a picture in meetings and using visual storytelling. What's your secret of kind of like transforming the numbers into something that makes sense to everyone, that informs decisions, and that non-numbered creative people can understand? I'm, I'm glad you asked. So it, it's it's definitely been a, a a challenge because you know I I deal with people on both sides of the fence. You know I deal with people who are very very used to looking at numbers. And those who really aren't, they come with a more creative focus and people who kind of fall in the middle. And, you know, sometimes as you're assessing a program, you're talking about the landscape, you have to be able to talk to both people. And really what and always ends up happening is you start at the end. You start with the what do I want people to walk away with? What do I want people to know? I want them to, to really know and remember three things. What are they? And then you work backwards. Uh, and and layer in you know the slides or bullet points that best tell that story. I think you know coming from um, the data world, sometimes you fall in love with you know I really love this table. I love how you see all the information. You can answer all the questions if we put this table of twenty rows and twenty columns. Let's just put that on a slide, and you absolutely cannot put that on the slide. While some people would like it as a reference, you are going to lose. The majority of people in that room, you know, that that table has to be a bullet or you cut down that 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 table into like a, a two by two or a four by four, something where the finding really leaps out. Um, you know, I think that that's the thing um, when when you work with data, sometimes it feels like more is more like here. I have these 10 things that really hit home the thing I want someone to know. You usually don't need all 10 things. What's the one strongest thing? What are the two strongest things? Show that, say that. Also figure out, you know, sometimes it's a visual, sometimes it's a VO. You know, maybe that table, the thing you want people to walk away with, maybe it's a talking point. Okay, you're breaking my data-loving heart here, Mr. Hart. <laughs> 
to do all of these reports but i think it's like really really good advice especially because um it's like working backwards to kind of like tell the story and making sure that the points you have really tell that story and it's not just because i fell in love with the data and want to show everyone my cool spreadsheet which happens more often than you just you so like <laughs> oh, absolutely i've fallen in love with many spreadsheets but the thing is those spreadsheets are there to make you smarter it's already done its job that spreadsheet was there so that you know what's happening now your job is to tell other people what you saw in that spreadsheet. It's not this that spreadsheet's job. Oh, all right. So it shouldn't be easy. I should suggest that information. No, that was like a direct hit. All right, thanks. <laughs> and um, like again, there's so many things that you've mentioned, which I think is is gold in a sense. It's like like having like the right team, um, having the skill of turning um numbers into stories and You've been wildly successful. You started off as a research consultant today. You're an executive director at one of the biggest, I think, collaborations of uh, TV out there. What do you think made you stand out and made you grow so fast in a sense? Oh, goodness. Um, so, I mean, I think part of it is I do really love what I do. And um, I think that comes through in the work. I think it's also the storytelling element because I think anybody can give you data, right? Once you know how to extract it, no, oh, here are the numbers, you know, yeah, sure, I can, I can, you know, format it and put it in a table. But I think what really people are looking for is someone to, to help them, someone to help contextualize uh, what, what these numbers mean and what they're telling you. And is there something that they're missing? You know, I think that's the piece that becomes super important. I also think um, what helps is that I really like people. I love to collaborate, um, and which is so funny because I used to hate group projects in school. Um, sorry if, if you're a group project person. I don't want to kill all your dreams, Harsha, but I am not. I'm not a group. I, I was never a group project person, but I, in the workplace, um, it's something I really like, and I don't know if you've ever taken um, the Clifton skills assessment, um, which I highly recommend. I think you have to pay to take it, but it's, you know, it's sort of like Myers-Briggs, you answer a bunch of questions and they tell you about yourself. And what I like about it is it gives you, here are like the hundred attributes we, we test for, and here are the ones that rank high, and here are the ones that, you know, are middle, and here are the ones that are low. And all of my top ones fell into two categories. They were mostly under people, and the others were under brainstorming and ideation. And I think that's really what helps it because it's not always the execution. You know, I think to to succeed, you have to be willing to work well with others, you know, especially people who are difficult. You know, I think you have to find ways to bring everyone to the table, bring, you know, figure out how to collaborate, figure out how to do more than what is asked or do stuff before it's asked, you know, really push and, and ask those questions, which is why I think, you know, really thinking about the why, you know, like if someone was like, oh, hey, who watched that show? I'll be like, oh, it did well with women 18 to 34. That's an answer. But my answer would be like, oh, I, you know, it really resonated with young women. I think this storyline really helped drive, you know, I saw that the, the ratings in the, you know, first 15 minutes where you established these characters or whatever, maybe that's what helped. Um, it would be things like that, right? 
like adding as much context and color, you know, really engaging people. I also am not a person who always likes, well, let me just, you ask me a question over email. Let me just throw it back in an e the answer back in an email at you. If it's complicated, I'm going to ask for time. Like, Hey, let me send you, let me like, I'm, I'm worked on it, but want to walk you through it and, you know, like get your thoughts and feedback and then I'll send it after that way we have a conversation you know, um, you know, they get to know me as well as my work and I get to know them. Right. And I get and usually in those conversations, you hear like, oh, OK, that's the question they were asking, which I answered. But they're also trying to figure out X, Y and Z and they didn't articulate that. And now I know and now I can figure out how to help them. Hmm. That's very interesting. And I think that it's kind of like. I think it's driven a lot by passion, but it's a lot of using your your brain in a sense to figure out all different angles and do, and as you said, just doing things before they're asked, making sure that you're constantly thinking in a way and thinking how to make things better, which I've heard is a complaint that a lot of young graduates don't do so well. So, all right, I'll make sure they watch this then and understand. But um, <laughs> speaking about this world where there's a lot of data available, there's a lot of information available, um, I think I, I read somewhere um, that people were saying there there used to be a time where when you watch TV, it's like nobody knows to even like like say anything. It's you you watch it either you like it or you don't. Like we don't overanalyze it. But today, everyone is always on Twitter or Facebook or some platform like like sharing their thoughts, what their analysis on it, what the data that they found about this show is, and they're even whole campaigns and whole petitions of kind of like, I don't know, unionized groups of individuals who are saving shows and canceling them. And like, from your point of view, again, when it started out, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter that could wreak havoc on your day, I would say. But now it's like, that's something that happens like hour to hour almost. So what is your view on when, when you see people and, or the audience in a sense engage in such a critical, in such a hands-on way with the the shows that you produce or the shows that the uh, channel produces in a sense? Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I, I don't I don't have anything against it. You know, I, I definitely feel that feeling because I'm, I'm also a fan, right? I, I also am a consumer and I also have a lot of feelings. I don't, I'm not really a social media person. So I don't like tweet, tweet, you know, I don't live tweet anything. I don't tweet my feelings about stuff, but I have them. I have my, 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 my thoughts and feelings and things that I want more of and things that I want less of. And so I, I don't have anything inherently negative in that. And in, in some ways I find it admirable, especially when, you know, whole communities are formed to try to figure out how to save shows. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the one that, that leaps to mind is when um, folks were trying to save Chuck on NBC and uh, they, they figured out, well, you know, let's start tweeting at the advertisers for the show, you know, so they would tweet at Subway like, hey, you know, blah, 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 we love the show, save Chuck, you know, and that's something that is just so impressive to me that, you know, people love a thing so much and they want it to succeed so much that they are exerting effort, right, in order to to campaign for it. I think that it. I think if you are um, a network executive, I think you almost have to appreciate that. You know, appreciate that effort, appreciate that passion. And um, you know, again, I'm a people person. I, I like the idea of making people. You can't always do what the the general public you know, wants, especially if it's potentially a, a loud minority. But, um, 
it's it's definitely I I don't mind it at all. Okay. Okay. And how many times do you or like do the people you work with kind of like look at a show and or or make a show itself based on what the audience is like? So you see like hmm these people or like this particular group of people are very vocal about certain things like they want this 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 and they always complain our shows don't have this 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 do you form a show out of that do you use that input or that feedback that you get in a sense i mean it's fine if you don't because numbers speak at the end of the day but is yeah. that even a factor i mean i that that's really hard i think i think you you have to be open to what the marketplace is demanding right so i think it depends on on the ask i think if the ask is you know we want to see more representation on screen i think that's absolutely something that that creators and media companies should listen to um i think it's a lot harder to listen when it's like i want a show about xyz you know why aren't there shows about xyz um, I, I, I know in the past other other there have been you know some researchers who will ask questions and surveys like you know like what kind of show do you want to see on air right now and I hate that question because I think I, I think about some of the things that have been most successful and there is no way that someone wrote anything about what that show is was in in a survey and so I don't think you can kind of develop I don't think you could develop a show to that. I think you can kind of listen to what the zeitgeist is and what it feels like people want. Like, like right now, I if someone was saying, you know, I want to develop a show about a disease that ravaged a country, I would say, I don't think people are really wanting that right now. This is probably not the time. I think people want to escape from reality. <laughs> so that that's probably where I'm at with that. I think it's about listening to to um, what is happening around around the world, the community, and and helping that inform you know what you think should be on screen. All right, all right. Again, I'm very glad that now that I've met you, I can rest assured and binge watch guilt free. I'd say on most times at least. And um, have there ever been like um shows that that your decision or like the group decision to cancel or save um, changed the way that, or, or like erupted a reaction among fans? Like, do you think like people watch that closely? And if so, like, how do you manage that? How do you say, like keep everyone at bay and keep everyone happy? Because it's kind of like you were, you, like your role is very much like keeping like people who are like in the numbers area, then you've got to inform the creative people. And then now you've got the fans who are going around saying like, oh, I like this, I don't like this and things like that. So how do you manage all of that in a sense? Oh goodness. Um, it, it, I mean, the good thing, that's the good thing is that at least like I'm not the one, you know, making, making that call, right? I don't make, I can make recommendations. But I, I don't I don't literally pull push the button that says this show not black though. Um, that says kill in a sense. Yeah, I I honestly don't think I'm cutthroat enough. I'm 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 too squishy to to be able to do that. I would give I would want to give everybody one more chance. Um, it, it's not always easy, and and definitely I've been there where you know my favorite show was not performing, and I had to say in a meeting the the you know that the data isn't good that people aren't watching the way that we want and they had to make a decision based off of you know that plus financials plus create i mean there are, again there are a whole lot of data points that that go into those kind of decisions they're never made lightly 
Um, they're always made with, you know, with intention um, and, and careful consideration. You know, I think we, we know how hard it is to launch a show, you know, to get someone interested in it. So it's never easy to, to pull the plug. But that said, you know, it's still an ad-supported business. It, it, it relies on eyeballs. It relies on people watching. So, you know, that's kind of the thing that, that you know, I, I kind of have to cling to, that it's, it's, it's unfortunately purely a business decision. And I wish more people watched so that it was not even a question that this show would come back. All right. And I think um, we're dwindling down our conversation. So I will ask you the most controversial question that probably would take years of scientific research to prove. But I think I value your opinion more than anything else. It's um, what makes a show good? What makes people watch it? Oh, my gosh, Harsha. Um, uh, I, I, I think, I mean, I, I this is a really hard one. I think what makes a show good is it has to have something to say. It has to be different. Uh, I think there are a lot of shows, and I remember working on one, that they made the show to be like a successful show so that they could put it behind the successful show. And it did not work, you know. And I think now, again, given all the choice, I think the, sh the shows have to have something to say. It has to have a unique point of view and a story that people really haven't heard or it hasn't been told that way. You know, I think about a show like Lost, which was really revolutionary for the time. And it it changed the way, you know, storytelling happened. You know, the idea that, okay, I'm going to plant a seed in one episode and it's going to pay off six episodes later, you know, and the use of flashbacks and flash forwards, that was not really something that was done very often and with um, such dexterity, right? It really changed the game. Uh, and I think for a show to be good, in some way, you have to change the game, right? You have to give people something different that they haven't really seen anywhere else. And it has to be you know, it has to be excellent. I think at, at the end of the day, I think the writing has to be excellent. You know, I think the idea has to be excellent. And the 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 other pieces, it timing, which is something you can't you can't think about or plan, you know, it's it it it's really kind of magic. So it's kind of like providence is involved as well in a sense. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and yeah. and I think like just to end, last question for today. I, I could ask you, what's your advice for people in your field, in your industry? But I feel like the people who would benefit from your thoughts directed to them are the creative people, the musicians, the filmmakers, the comedians, all of the people who are right now in the creative world. Many times we don't see your side of it. We don't see the numbers. We don't see um, the research that goes behind it. So to all of the creative people out there, and I know many of them are watching because uh, they've been texting me and commenting and have been very happy with you so far. But what is your advice to them, to all of these creatives out there, to show them this perspective that they may not have? Oh, gosh. Well, I think, um, again, you know, right now, um, there, there's so much out there that is at your fingertips. So I would say, you know, make something and put it out there and try to get people to watch it. Um, make a network and make a lot of friends because, uh, 
you know, if you think about like the people who come up and they come up together, you know, they're all kind of in the same class. I think of like Nick Kroll and John Mulaney and, you know, like they were all friends and they all came up together and they all helped and supported each other. So that's the other thing is I would say, you know, come up with um, your group of people who you think you can, you know, make some really good stuff with and, and get it out there. Network talk to a lot of people as as many people in in the industry or adjacent to the industry get get advice i think uh be be fairly easy to work with uh always helps i think uh sometimes it's hard um you know when you are an artist with a capital a you know you you don't always want to um make sacrifices or change your art in any way but if if you're talking to someone who, again, is an ad-supported business, that that unfortunately is part of it. It's a lot of compromise. Okay, I think that that is really like a really high note to to leave on. And um, thank you so much. You have been amazing to talk to. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. it was It was fun. All right, and um, we are having comments trickle in saying that they agree with you and they are very grateful for your words of wisdom. So to all of our audience here today, thank you all for watching as well. And thank you for being um, so interactive today. I think it really shows how great of a speaker we had. And for all of you, I guess I'll see you again next week at uh, 10 p.m. EST on Thursday nights for our next episode of Changing Reality. Thank you all so much for watching and see you next time. Bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.